0: Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Loyal Law School Professor Jessica Levinson. Welcome back to another episode of Passing Judgment. Today, we are going to recap the debates with America's debate coach, Dr. Todd Graham, is the director of debate at Southern Illinois University. His debate teams have won five national championships. He has been recognized three times as the National Debate Coach of the Year. He contributes op-eds to CNN.com. You see him frequently on CNN and other stations. We talked with him before the debates to talk about what we thought might happen. Lots of surprises, lots of things that probably were not at all shocks. And now he is back with us. Again, you can find Todd on Twitter at America Debate and on Facebook at Todd Graham, America's Debate Coach. Todd, welcome back.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Last night, we saw a debate. It was between President Trump and Vice President Biden, and it felt universes apart from the first debate that we saw about three weeks ago between the same people, President Trump and Vice President Biden. What were your big takeaways from the second debate, the final debate that we just watched last night?
1: Well, Jessica, I think everybody has the same general takeaway, which is it was nice to see that we had a more civil debate. So that was great. Uh, and so there are positives to take away from it that uh, you know I don't have to defend debate as an activity as as strongly anymore because people were saying, you know, what's the point in presidential debates if they're all going to be like that. So I was happy that it was more civil. I was happy that whether it was because we had a mute button for the first 2 minutes of each person speaking or whether it's because All of Trump's advisors told him, be more calm, don't interrupt as much. Either way, I'll give both partial credit. I was happy that we had at least a more civil discussion.
0: So what did you think about the big to mute or not to mute button? So, of course, in reaction to the first debate that we'll talk about, they made a decision that we would mute the candidates in between their conversations, in between their answers. Is that a pro or a con for the people who are watching at home?
1: Yeah, it was a pro this time, for sure. I was, I will admit, skeptical of it, because the Commission on Presidential Debates just seemed to be winging things, right? They made that decision on Monday before this debate to put the mute in there, and it was only for four minutes of the the 15-minute segment, which means they had 11 more minutes of open discussion that they could interrupt each other and yell at one another. But it might have helped a little in setting the tone for not interrupting. So it might have worked a little bit. But I also think that, like anything, that system can be gamed in the future. If somebody wants to, you know, interrupt the other while they're speaking, they can still throw them off even though their microphone isn't working. Or if someone wants to just lie for two minutes, your opponent can't say anything. You can say anything you'd like about them because their microphone is turned off. So all systems have benefits and drawbacks. I've worked with microphones before in public debates, and so I've seen them go well and go poorly, but I would say last night was generally overall good.
0: Dr. Todd, what are you, a lawyer trying to find all these loopholes around the creating the mute button for the debates? So here's one thing that I was thinking in terms of how it could backfire on the viewing public, which is maybe we should see if one candidate is just a serial interrupter. So is there a point in terms of debate, in terms of what the public takes out of debate, that we shouldn't put up these artificial barriers, even if it means we hear more about what the candidate's views are on policy? Is part of a debate actually being able to see how they react in that particular environment?
1: I do believe so that I don't think we have to have a mute button if we have better moderator training. And so one of the things debate coaches do is we train moderators. We train debate judges. We train them how to handle these debaters. And I just thought it was fairly interesting that many people interviewed me and said, but Todd, Donald Trump can't be tamed. And we aren't blaming Chris Wallace because there's nothing you can do about that. And my answer was always nonsense. I've had debaters, both who've debated for me and who I've watched debate on circuits who were much more rude, much more interrupting than Donald Trump. Yet we were able to control their behavior through better moderating and and better sort of judge control. So yeah, I think that would be where you'd start.
0: So what is that better moderating and better judge control?
1: You know, something nobody talks about, Jessica, is you start before the debate begins. So I think one of the things that helped Trump, in the third debate, in the final debate, his second of two, was that his advisors all told him, please don't do this. And I do think that helped. But you know, what a a moderator can do is pull you aside before the debate and tell you, here are things you can do to make yourself look better in the debate. So I would give them a carrot and explain, here's how you can go without interrupting your opponent. And if you watch last night's debate, my analysis is all correct, because we practice this. So I tell them first, Don't look at each other. If you tend to look at each other during the debate, especially when they're saying something, you are much more likely to interrupt. So if you noticed on last night's debate, Biden was looking into the camera or the audience. Trump was looking at the camera or the audience or looking down at notes he was taking. And that's the very best way to prevent yourself from going overboard and interrupting. So that's the first thing I would tell them.
0: It's so interesting because I think people are watching and saying, how could Chris Wallace stop this freight train? And what you're saying is that there are ways to do it. And how would you compare the two moderators between the two debates?
1: Well, obviously, Kristen Welker did a better job last night. She did a better job in the final debate than Chris Wallace did in the first one. But um, that's for two reasons. The first is she got to go last. And in debate of any kind, we've always noticed whoever gets to go last gets to see what happened wrong in the first uh, first debate and then make improvements. I thought her original questions were much stronger than Chris Wallace. They had much better facts and front-loading within the questions so that she didn't have to do much afterwards and they were very clear the last thing she said to each candidate on each topic was after she would give them a general of the topic she would say so my question is specifically this and it would be simple so she did a good job there but you know she had an easier job trump was clearly already under better control he was better behaved even during the 11 minutes of open discussion so yes she did a better job but did she do a perfect job no she but she did better she controlled the debate a little bit better
0: It did seem that she was so much better, but she had much better behaved, as you said, candidates. I mean, she really had at least one different person in that room. Were there any moments last night that you think stood out in terms of moving the electoral needle at all? Do you think that any votes shifted as a result of what we saw last night in the second and final debate?
1: If votes shifted based on the second debate, I think they're still going to shift in favor of Biden, but for completely different reasons than the first debate. In the first debate, Republican pollster Frank Luntz pretty much told us what we already knew, which was independence could not stand Donald Trump and how rude he was in that first debate. So just the rudeness of it turned some independent voters away. In last night's debate, in the final debate that they had, I think the reason people might like Biden better was because Biden had something to say. So, in other words, it wasn't against Trump, but it was for Biden. And that was important because he talked about the future and how he had takeaways. Everything's always important in takeaways in debates. Like, what will the audience take away as in why should I vote for you? Biden had more reasons why he can look at the future and fix some problems than Trump did, and that would be my takeaway. All
0: right, tell me why I'm wrong on this assessment. I watched last night, and perhaps because of you can't watch last night and separate it from the first debate, which was I described as you know basically a a train wreck hit by a tornado, and then all of a sudden there's a hurricane that comes along, and you have an unexpected 8.0. I mean, it seemed like such a disaster. But I watched last night and thought, this looks like a fairly normal debate. This is the typical paradigm that Americans are used to. And my perspective is anytime President Trump looks like he is a typical president, a normal president, it makes him look almost by definition more presidential, more electable. And so I thought that that shift actually was a win for President Trump because most people, I think, are looking at the style. There weren't any huge substantive shockwaves. And therefore, I thought he could actually pick up some points.
1: Yeah. And Jessica, this is an area where, again, I I don't do the polls, so I don't know what's going to happen. But I I can't tell you what happened as a debate pro. And this is why people have me on, because One of the things I've noticed in watching over 8,000 debates is that people are over influenced by change. So, Mm -hmm. if my debate team, for example, is really bad in debate and a judge says, You need to improve these six areas, and then we improve three of those areas, all of a sudden the judge might vote for us in the next debate, even if perhaps we didn't even win. It's just because they saw improvement. And so, I'm afraid your take is like most people who aren't in the field, which is Trump did better. And so, I think people might like it, and and people might like it. But on the other hand, because he was more restrained, I was able to focus, and I think many people were, on his actual answers to the question, which were abhorrent. He didn't answer the questions, not a one of them, by the way. And so I think as a cumulative effect, the debate overall had the takeaway of people saying while Trump had a better style, um, I'm not sure he had any better substance. In fact, it seemed worse. So that's my takeaway is, is don't be fooled by improvements.
0: Dr. Todd, I think you just very politely called me a pedestrian debate watcher. And you know what? It's true. And you are the expert, and I will take it. And is it also true? And then let's shift to the first debate. Are we always kind of grading President Trump on a curve? Has he been so norm-breaking? Has he said things that seem like they are so uh, catastrophic for anyone else in public life that this Could potentially be seen as a win for President Trump because the bar for him is just – there is no bar. There's a triangle for him instead. It's just such a different curve.
1: I completely agree. And again, this is one of the reasons why my when I send grades out and on my CNN.com article, people are going to hate the grades that I gave out for this debate. It's because people do exactly what you think they might do, which is, uh, you know, they, they they set a bar so low that if you overcome that bar, they think you did better. Um, if Trump is nicer, and we've seen this though about Trump for four years, right? So if all of a sudden he's a kinder, gentler, people say, well, he's turned the corner and they 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 give him extra credit for doing that without actually looking at the analysis behind it. So I have no dispute that I think a lot of people will think Trump did better in that debate than he actually did in the debate based on their lower expectations of what they thought of him.
0: Well, that's why we need you to talk about the fact that, in fact, he didn't really do that well. Now, let's go to the blank storm of the first debate. And let's talk about what President Trump did and how Vice President Biden reacted. And if you don't mind a compound question, why that was President Trump's strategy? Why that was the tack that he took?
1: He was overexcited. Uh, this is what happens when you haven't had a debate in four years, and people have built up these presidential debates as such a big deal. Uh, Donald Trump was uh, twofold in that first debate. The first is he was overexcited because he knew this was his first contest against Biden. He hadn't debated in four years, and he was really amped up before that debate. Plus, Frank Ferenkoff, the chairman of the Commission on Presidential Debates, had been making the rounds that week saying, we're not going to fact check. We're just going to let them have open discussions and do what they want. It seemed to me like he gave Trump an open invitation to be as aggressive and assertive as he could. And so I think part of that went into the first debate. Plus, Chris Wallace came in overconfident. He was a bit arrogant because he also hadn't practiced moderating in four years. He hadn't seen a debate in four years. And he thought he was getting the same Donald Trump from 2016 that he was going to get in 2020. So when you combine those things with Trump doesn't normally get challenged in interviews. I think he came out very combative in that first one. And I think that's kind of why he was amped up and came out combative. And once you turn that on, sometimes in a debate, it's very difficult to turn it back off.
0: Is there any point to that strategy? I mean, can it be an effective strategy in this particular presidential election? Are there some swing voters in the swing states that you think might look at that and say, he seems really strong? He seems like he has a command. Uh he's not a weak person. He's a leader.
1: Yeah, Jessica, 50%. So here's what I said after watching last night's debate. Trump oversteered, like most of us do when we make any mistakes in life. If we do something wrong, then we try to correct it and we oversteer in the other direction. I think you're right. People like the bold Trump. They like the Trump that's assertive. In that first debate, though, he went beyond even what his supporters liked. But then in the second debate, um, he started the first half of the debate, especially now in the second half, he actually picked up a little bit, but he started so mellow that it completely oversteered in the wrong direction. The best Donald Trump is one right in between what he did in the two debates. So he's assertive and slightly aggressive, but not overly obnoxious. And we've seen that in debates before, maybe one or two against Clinton, but definitely in his Republican primaries before. So I think a 50% in between those two Trumps would have been the, the optimal.
0: Well, of course, we're not going to see that because this was, in fact, the last debate. There was supposed to be three debates, but President Trump came down with coronavirus and the second debate was instead canceled for dueling town halls. Can you talk to us a little bit about your takeaways from the town halls? But let's start with something that feels um, maybe not as important as what actually happened in the town halls, which is who got more viewers and why?
1: Yeah, Biden, Biden got more viewers, didn't he? Um I kind of expected he would. And, and you know, I don't I don't follow TV news a lot, but one of the reasons is because he immediately upon finding out Trump wouldn't debate him virtually called ABC. The reason he called them is because ABC News is getting the highest ratings of the three newscasts. And so I thought that was brilliant. And from the immediate time he did that, I said he's going to get better ratings than Trump wherever Trump goes because ABC's been doing so well. So I think that's one of the reasons. And the other is people were really upset with Trump after that first debate. And so I think they just said enough. I don't really watch him this debate. And so I think those two things combined for for Biden doing a little bit better in the viewership.
0: Now, can we focus on Biden in terms of the substance? How do you think he did in the town hall? Uh, how was his performance? If, you, if he were one of your students, what would you say to him at the end of it?
1: I mean, that's his wheelhouse, isn't it, right? Biden yeah. is great in the town hall debates. Uh, his, his team argued after the second debate was canceled to actually make the third debate a town hall instead, because they knew that that's where he shined. Town hall is when you like you have you, you talk to people. You you send, you tend to see what their feelings are. You have more empathy with them. He's just much better at that format than Donald Trump. And I think we saw it in the two dueling tra- town halls. Uh, Biden was there. He was answering questions. Heck, he answered questions after they went off the air. He still answered everybody's questions who was still there. Whereas Trump seemed a little bit more you know combative with with the host. He seemed a little. Bit more combative, and it was off-putting. So, yeah, that's his wheelhouse. the The town hall is his best format.
0: So, you mentioned how President Trump did in the town hall. He did seem combative, but was that just because Savannah Guthrie was actually a better moderator, and she was doing what moderators should do, or was that just the tone that he took?
1: I think it was mostly his tone. And the reason I say that is because, you know, on the right, we had a lot of Republicans saying, well, the moderator was tougher. But then I actually saw an analysis that somebody put online of the actual questions that they were asked. And Biden was not asked little softball questions. It's just that he handled them much more appropriately in a town hall format than Trump did. So I, I think both moderators did their jobs. I just don't think Trump likes having questions that challenge him or he, especially Jessica, I don't think he likes follow-up questions where they're just like, what, or can you prove that? Or what are you saying? And there were more follow-ups in that, in that town hall.
0: Yeah. You say follow-ups. Is it also appropriate to say fact checks?
1: Yes, yes. Yes, yes, I I absolutely think so. And that's one of the reasons why in the final debate, Kristen Welker is getting all these accolades. And I just graded her as a C, if you ask me. And it's because, again, people are grading based on the curve. All the other moderators were bad in the presidential debates, and so they thought she was great. But you know what? She didn't do any fact-checking. She let them get away with complete murder, especially Trump. When you look at the fact-checkers online, he basically was saying all of the same untruths that he did in the first debate. He just said them in a softer tone.
0: Yeah, we had the greatest hits, right? We had No Collusion, Witch Hunt. Um, we had you know the Hunter Biden largely discredited or wholly discredited allegations and. In- is there an argument to be made that that's not the role of a debate moderator? I personally would have loved it if she said, there's no evidence for that. Or President Trump, that's just simply incorrect. But you're the debate expert. Is there an argument that she should ask the questions, make sure that each candidate gets fair time, and you know, ask probing questions, and then the rest is for the fact checkers, not for her on the spot at that moment?
1: Jessica, I just I can't be more clear on this subject. The answer is no, they have to do some fact checking. Now, there are ways to do it that you can do it in the question, you can put the facts in the question. But then if they don't answer it, or if they say something that's untrue, All you have to do is say simple things like, do you have evidence for that claim? Or can you prove that claim? Or, you know, this claim has been fact-checked many times, Mr. President or Mr. Vice President, and it's just not come up to being, you know, accurate. Can you prove this? And the reason, Jessica, this is important, and I want to stress this enough, is because the Commission on Presidential Debates is behind the times. Debate is like any other game. In 1960, Basketball didn't look the same that it does in 2020. Football didn't look the same as it does in 2020. Debate doesn't look the same as it does in 2020. The candidates try to get away with more. In 1960, they considered lying or fibbing or exaggerating one of the worst crimes ever, as they still do in college and high school debate. Now, politicians don't consider it so bad. So the moderators must adapt with the times. And that's why I'm a little disappointed. The Commission kept saying, no, they shouldn't fact check. The commission is back in a 1960s model. They need to be in a 2020 model.
0: So what else should the commission do? You said that they're basically 60 years behind us. We should have real-time fact checkers. How else could we make presidential debates better?
1: My number one suggestion, and I don't say this to be arrogant, but is you need debate coaches. You need people with debate experience. If you look at people who are on the commission, not a one of them has any experience in debate. And I don't mean debate coaches as in, oh, I've coached political candidates for a few debates. Those people aren't coaches either. I'm talking about one of the thousands of people who coach high school or college debate, who have run public debates, who have run small debates, who have listened to public speeches, because we've tested it all. Earlier, you asked me about the muting of the microphone. The reason I knew it is because I've used microphones in so many debates, and I know when they can go well and when they can go wrong so that my number one suggestion is while it doesn't have to be me it should be me by the way because i really have a lot of good comments for the the commission but you need to have debate experts there to say okay here's why that might not work here's what we've seen in our field here's why it applies to presidential debates so that would be my number one suggestion put actual people with real professionals and debate experience on there
0: now I, I could talk to you about these presidential debates for a few more hours, but I know that the listeners also want to hear about the vice presidential debate. And I'm gonna ask you just broadly the same question, which is what were your takeaways? Not we've spent a lot of time talking about the fly, but you're above that. Did it change the needle? Did anybody have a breakout moment? Did anybody have a bad moment? What were your, you know, top three hits? from the vice presidential debate?
1: Kamala Harris. In fact, uh, my uh, she got the best grade that I gave out in any of the debates for the presidential, vice presidential general election debates. Uh, uh, Kamala Harris got an A- for me, and I thought that she was terrific. And that grade has only improved over the last week or two. And that's because she had a much more fine line to walk as a woman of color. Because people on both sides say, well, she should have been more aggressive when Mike Pence interrupted her. And then people on the other side said, she should have stood up to Mike Pence more. And they don't understand what a fine line that is. Because women and women of color have double standards put against them in society in both public speeches and debates. Study after study has demonstrated this, that if they come across as too assertive, people think they're aggressive and they get turned off. I thought she was just perfect in that debate, in her attitude. She was assertive, but she still let him talk over her a little bit. Had she gone further, everybody would have disliked her. Because remember, it was a first impression. Uh, A lot of people don't know Kamala Harris. Midwesterners have probably never seen her because they didn't watch the Democratic primary debates. So that's my takeaway, is that Kamala Harris had an almost perfect debate.
0: Which is, fascinating as a debate coach to hear that because, of course, Republicans were saying, oh, she looked really weak, and Democrats were saying she was absolutely fantastic, and you're cutting through and telling us from a debate performance standpoint how she did. And you and I talked about this when we previewed the debates, that she really did have a needle to thread on that stage, and it sounds like you think that she successfully did that. I want to ask, would you have told her, if you were coaching her, would you have told her to... Use the line that I think will be the most remembered line from that debate, which is Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking.
1: Yes. Uh, but not every time. I think one of the things that, and again, debate coaches would help um, on this is, um, you should be expected to be interrupted multiple times in a debate. So you can't say the exact same line every time it loses its effectiveness. But I, I can tell you as a, a white guy, um, wh- the first time I ever had a woman of color tell me, um, Todd, I'm speaking. Oh my goodness, I shut the heck up right away. And so um, I think that's a really good line uh, to use. And I I got put in my place right away and I I learned my lesson and I've improved since then. So I absolutely did like the Mr. Vice President I'm speaking because I know if I was him, I would have shrinked in the background. Um, But it simply didn't work time and time again. So I would have had a few more things prepared if I were her.
0: I thought that there was some utility to the repetitiveness of it, which is to say over and over, you know, actually I have the floor, I'm speaking. And it did become like, it became a slogan for her almost. What do you think about his reaction? How did, and I want to direct everybody to your great pieces on cnn.com when you did grade and talk about the vice presidential debate. Give us a little preview of what you said about Vice President Pence.
1: Well, while I thought he handled those okay, Mr. Vice President I'm speaking, if you noticed by the end, he just said, yes, you are, but you should be answering this question. And so that's why it wasn't quite as effective um, as it was at the beginning. But the reason I I didn't care for Mike Pence in that debate was pretty much the same, one of the same reasons I didn't care for Donald Trump in the final debate. Mike Pence was simply a watered down version, a more polite version of someone who wasn't telling the truth in debates. Again, and, and and this seems like a broken record for me, but there are a couple of major errors that you can never make in a debate. One is you just can't lie. Um, You have to be as honest as possible. And in Pence, it just seemed like the upside down world. He would say things, but the one that killed me, Jessica, was back to back when he said, you know, from day one, Donald Trump has taken the health of the American people as his main priority. And then his very next line is, and you know, Senator, you're allowed your own opinions, but not your own facts. And I just thought, oh my God, he just said something that's generally not true. Trump thinking the health of the American public was number one. And then he used a line from a Democratic senator, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, you know, to, to use against her. And so I thought it was galling that some of his upside down worlds, like you shouldn't politicize the coronavirus, et cetera, was, you know, so it was just the honesty overall. And then it was some specific lines that he used. So he was what we thought he would be very calm, very relaxed, you know, very solid. But 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 also I thought very dishonest in that debate.
0: It was completely surreal. And I literally had no words to describe Vice President Pence standing up there and talking about how we should sort fact from fiction, how President Trump has been at the forefront of protecting us from the coronavirus. But I can't escape the feeling that that plays well for some of the key voters. And you did say you can't lie in debates, President Trump, when he was candidate Trump back in 2016, seems to me to have lied quite a bit in debates, and then he won. So is President Trump going to shift the debate paradigms? Is this now going to be something that other candidates try and do, that they see if they can just, if they say it in a calm tone and they say it enough times? Or is, is it only President Trump and Vice President Pence that can really get
1: away with this? I, I mean, I, I think that it's it's a fair question. It can be a little of both. I, I don't think, I think it's already right? As I said earlier, it's already began expanding into candidates being less honest as the years have gone by. Obviously, Trump and Pence took it to another level. But as for did it help him win or lose the debate? No, it didn't. It didn't help him win. The I mean, I mean he was judged as losing most of those debates. But here was the interesting thing. Kathleen Hall Jameson wrote the book, and she actually said, as it turns out, the reason Trump did well in those debates Overall, it late, was later. It was because Fox News and conservative media took all of his lines and they amplified them for the next two weeks before the election. So it, it wasn't his straight out dishonesty. It was the dishonesty of him plus conservative media. And so I think that's what we have to look for.
0: Dr. Todd, we learned so much from talking to you about these debates. Uh, We thought when we previewed that we were going to be talking about uh, three presidential debates, one vice presidential debate. Of course, instead, what we got is two presidential debates in two entirely different universes, some similarities. President Trump, I think, continued to peddle lies and falsehoods, but did so with an entirely different style. And then we had the dueling town halls. Uh, And then, of course, the vice presidential debate, I'll wrap up by asking you, was the juice worth the squeeze? Did the American public learn anything that they didn't know before?
1: I'm not sure if we learned anything new. I know what we did learn was independence were turned off more by Donald Trump in that first debate, the polling afterwards indicated such, um, and and that we learned in the second debate, if you simply listen to the answers, that most people usually are looking for a takeaway. They want to know why they will vote for somebody and how they will help out. And, and, and in that second final debate from topics from what to do about the coronavirus to what to do about national security and foreign interference or you know how to fight climate change or what to do about the Affordable Care Act, uh, Donald Trump didn't have future answers, and usually that makes a difference in voters if they're still on the fence. As far as you know, well, I'm just concerned about what I'm going to do for the next four years. So, so that I think was the takeaway was that he he had different ways in each debate that he didn't particularly perform as effectively as he should.
0: Dr. Todd Graham, thank you so much for coming back and joining us twice now on Passing Judgment. You can find Todd on Twitter at America Debate on Facebook at Todd Graham America's Debate Coach. You can find me at Levinson Jessica, the show on Twitter at Past Judgment Pod. Listeners, please let us know what you thought of the debates, what you thought of the town halls, and we will see you next time.